When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Hangout in the Holy Land, Land Grant Holy Land's flagship podcast. I am your host, Gene Ross, and joining me, as always, is Josh Dooley. Josh, you know, when we're when we're planning these podcasts ahead of time, nothing is better than when the, the content gods bless us with 90 minutes of, of press conferences from the football team today, as well as all of the, the already interesting basketball content that we had going on. So it should be, you know, I think we're good for today. Yeah, for sure. You know, there was a little bit of doubt in my mind. I thought we have might have to uh, do a Cactus League recap for all our spring training fans. But uh, no, plenty of stuff out there. Just general NCAA basketball, spring practice, things like that. So I'm excited for this one. Yeah, me and Josh will continue uh, holding over your heads the, the Mets and Reds uh, season previews when we're really out of, out of content. So when you see an episode like that come along, you know it's been a really terrible week of content. But for now, there's a ton of stuff going on to talk about, luckily for you guys and for us. Uh, so we're going to start with the, the most topical of this stuff, the most current ongoing thing going on, and that's obviously the NCAA tournament. We all know Ohio State isn't in it anymore, but that doesn't mean we still can't talk about it because it has been a lot of fun this year, a lot of madness. But Josh, it is funny, and I feel like this happens more often than not. You have all these upsets early on. You have all these crazy games that happen. And then in the end, you wind up with, you know, four of, of some of the most storied programs in the country. So it, it always does seem to end up like this. You know, you have some of these early upsets. You know, you'll have a 15 seed beat a two. Uh, we had the one time a 16 beat a one. But at the end of the day, you usually wind up with at least one or two one seeds in the final four, as well as, you know, teams that are, are used to sticking around. And I know people like to, you know, they complain about how the football Final Four is is pretty much the same every year, but you look at the Final Four this year, Kansas, Villanova, Duke, UNC, you know, while obviously all of those teams were not pegged to be here, not all of them had some of their best seasons, it is some of the the usual suspects that you'd, you'd peg from the beginning of the year on a, on a normal year. Yeah, the proverbial uh, cream rises to the top seemingly every year in NCAA basketball. And you know, if you compare the two sports, I think you would see something very similar in college football, you mentioned the playoff and people have their gripes and their complaints that it's, you know, these same four five, six schools that make appearances. But, you know, I, I think if you extrapolated the playoff out to 64 teams, the way that the NCAA basketball uh, tournament is set up, I, I think you would roughly end up with the same thing. You know, Alabama could win four five, six games. Uh, no, it's less than that to make it to a final four. Ohio State could do the same. And then once in a while, you would get your uh, kind of your surprises. You would get Cincinnati in there a la North Carolina this year. You know, the programs are two very different, but North Carolina was an eight seed. They have good players. They made it to a final four. So it, it just goes to show you the similarities between these sports, the the big schools, the big money, they're always going to have an advantage. Basketball set up a little bit differently, but yeah, here we are, Gene. Who would have thought with four blue blood schools? And I, I, I think this tournament has been 
Awesome. Like it is every year. I've been super dialed into it. So well, what are your kind of general feelings towards March Madness and the way it's played out this year? Yeah, I mean, obviously the difference in this and football is that there is just a ton more games and it does give you know a big opportunity to schools that otherwise wouldn't make you know a, a smaller postseason tournament. So that is always fun. You know, we got to see St. Peter's make a run before they kind of the uh, you know no pun intended petered out against UNC. Um, but you know, but <laughs> but you know the the teams that are left are all very good. Obviously, you know UNC I did not think was very good during the regular season, but they've they've really turned it on as of late. Um, Duke, you have Coach K's Devil Magic willing them into the Final Four here and getting <laughs> us that that media favorite Duke UNC matchup in the Final Four here. But you know the Kansas and Villanovas of the world. Kansas has been my pick to win the national title since the tournament started. I picked them in my bracket. I have a, a small wager on them in the future to win the national title, and they are the only one seed remaining. And then you have Villanova, who I think is one of the more complete teams in the country, playing their best basketball right now. They're very, very disciplined, very well coached. Obviously, we know who Jay Wright is uh, as their head man has been there forever. But I, I think those two teams right now, Kansas and Villanova are both really, really, really good, um, both in both in different ways, too. So it'll be an interesting matchup between the two. But obviously, you know, Duke and UNC, a bit more surprising. Um, not in the grand scheme of things. Obviously, Duke and UNC are very good basketball programs as a whole, but both had more or less down seasons this year. We obviously know that UNC beat Duke in Duke's last home game, Coach K's last home game as Duke's head coach. So there's going to be a lot of storylines going into that. I'm sure they'll have a, a Coach K cam, because that's really all the media seems to care about in this matchup. But it should be a good basketball game as well. Um, two teams that have a, a very bitter and long-storied rivalry. So I'm very excited for the Final Four, and I've really enjoyed this tournament. Like like we said, you know, there's been upsets and stuff, but at the end of the day, you know, the best teams have made it through, and these are the four teams that are are playing the best basketball right now. Right, and I, I'm going to be passively rooting for three of them. You know, um, I think I've mentioned it on the pod before. North Carolina is like my 1B team. I grew up always watching the Tar Heels. Um, you know, I, I've loved them for as long as I can remember. And I think they're kind of underrated. I think they're being slept on. It's tough to say when they're in a final four, but they were an eight seed coming into the tournament. That was, you know, primarily due to the fact that they had a couple big kind of embarrassing losses early in the season. I think out of conference, uh, I can't think of the big one right now, but and then they didn't have a lot of signature victories along the way. They performed very well. I think they had six, seven losses going into the tournament. But beyond the Duke game in Coach K's final home game, they did not have a lot of signature victories. So I think they kind of got slept on. But Caleb Love is playing really well right now. They've got the two, quote unquote, Twin Towers in Baycott, Manic, And Manic can obviously step out and do it from the perimeter. So... I just think they're a well-rounded team. Obviously, the same goes for Villanova. What can you say about Jay Wright? I mean, I think if anybody is going to potentially replicate the success of Coach K long-term, if he wants to do it, Jay Wright could be that guy. You know, he he came in a time when Villanova, you know, they, they had success years ago under, uh, gosh, Roly Massimino, I think is his name. And they had the upset back over Georgetown in the 80s. But look, not the biggest, most well-known program there is. But since he's gotten there for the last two decades or so, uh, you know, they've just been a powerhouse. And he's still relatively young. So I think he could do it for another 10, 15, 20 years if he wanted. Again, well-rounded, well-coached. I, I think they're going to be challenged without Justin Moore, their guard who tore his Achilles. And that just... That sucks for him. You can see the emotion when that happened, but they've got enough other players and they're not built around one guy. So I really like them. Kansas, what are you going to say about Bill Self? He's got to win it again eventually, right? He seemingly makes a Final Four like every other season, but they haven't had the ultimate success. Another, you know, I think the theme is there's a lot of veteran leadership with these teams outside of maybe Duke, who has done it with some of some younger guys. Kansas has a team with, I, I know I'm going to mess up his last name, Agbaji. Um, and then they've got Braun. What's that? I think you nailed it. I think that's right. It's Ochai Abaji. Good. Score one for me. Uh, and then they've got, <clears throat> excuse me, Braun and Wilson and McCormick. Experienced guys. They brought in Remy Martin, who I, I think was probably expected to contribute more. He put up great numbers there, Arizona State. And he's just kind of a, uh, you know, role player for them. But again, veteran 
experienced guys. And then you've got Duke. Um, you know, what can you say? Banchero is a great player. They've got Mark Williams down low. They've got the other freshman, uh, AJ Griffin. They're going to be tough to beat, but I, I, I'm going to be rooting for it. I, I don't like Coach K. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is good podcasting. I was choking there for a second, but, um, you know, I, I think coach K once upon a time was, a a guy who was easy to root for the way he built up Duke and the success that he had. It's unmatched. It's unparalleled. Right. But I think that when you become too big and you're kind of put on top of the mountain, um, that can just kind of get to your ego, I think a little bit. And I, I think he's been very kind of holier than thou over the last decade or two. And a lot of things are about coach K he, he pretends he's deflecting, but he's really not. And I don't know that he's done it the right way recently. You know, I feel like he's kind of sold his soul to chase after the one and done guys and things like that. So not rooting for Duke, but I think that these will be two very good games and eventually a very good national championship game. Yeah, I saw a very funny clip the other day of like a, a Coach K giving a speech and he was talking about how, you know, they don't hang personal banners, talking about himself and how it's only about championships at Duke. And then the camera immediately panned to a banner that was about like Coach K's career wins or something like that. So very funny stuff. Um, yeah, I, I agree with everything you said, you know, like we like we talked about, there's very good players on all of these teams, even if they haven't performed to their highest level all season, they're certainly all clicking now. A lot of NBA talent on all four of these rosters, or future NBA talent, I should say. Um, and both should be really good games. As of right now, I'm looking at the lines here. Both of them are about a four-point spread. Kansas the favorite in the in the Kansas-Nova game, and Duke the favorite in the Duke-UNC game. Both of those are happening on Saturday night. So we'll be surely watching those, and hopefully they are a lot of fun, and hopefully they are as good as they are billed. But speaking of future NBA talent, Ohio State also had some future NBA talent on their roster before they wound up losing to a very good Villanova team in the tournament. And that is obviously EJ Liddell and Malachi Branham, two guys that are going to get uh, a ton of NBA draft talk this offseason. EJ Liddell obviously has, obviously has already uh, declared for the NBA draft, and we're still awaiting the decision of Malachi Branham. But based on what I've been seeing on the interwebs and based on these some of the projections here in the NBA draft models, um, uh, it seems like it's good news for Malachi Branham and bad news for Ohio State fans because there is a lot of love for for Branham going to the league here. Obviously, that's been a, a hot-button issue since the season ended, really, you know, talking about will, will Branham go or will he stay. But, uh, Josh, looking at some NBA draft projections here, I would say that, you know, the vast majority of services actually have Branham going higher than EJ Liddell. Um, just looking at some of the some of the big names here. Bleacher Report had Liddell going 19th, uh, Branham going 18th. Tankathon has Liddell 20th, Branham 17th. USA Today has Liddell 18th, and they have uh, Malachi Branham at 10th in their draft. And then the ringer has uh, Liddell at 20th and Branham at 18th. So a lot of mid to, to high first round for Branham, a lot of mid to low first round for Liddell. Are you surprised to see that, you know, some places, in fact, you know, I would say most have Branham going before Liddell? I am and I'm not because I think the NBA more than any other sport, more than any other draft projects or kind of values potential over anything else. You know, we see these one and done guys get drafted, you know, maybe the way the Branham's going to be. But you also see, you know, the guys who go to G League, they skip college altogether and they work their way up these draft boards by playing in this kind of semi pseudo professional level. I, I just think that the NBA wants to swing big because, you know, the way that they can structure contracts and offer second deals, you've got potential to really lock a guy up for seven to eight years by the end of a second contract. And, and it's, Look, it's a, a young player's game for the most part, with the exception of your LeBron Jameses and Chris Pauls and things like that. So you want to get a guy who can potentially reach his ceiling or come close to it or, you know, kind of hit his peak at 23, 24, 25 years old and then, you know, play at a high level for an extended period of time. So uh, I'm not surprised, but I... I truly believe that Malachi Branham could come back and work on some things at Ohio State. And I, 
the reason that I'm kind of that I would I don't want to see him go. Obviously, selfishly as a Buckeye fan, I want him to come back. But there have been so many examples of guys, specifically in basketball and in the NBA, who have left school after a year or two. And then they just kind of get they get buried at the next level. They can't work on their game in the same manner. They're not, uh, you know, highlighted by the team. They have to really work their way into a rotation and eventually work their way into things. Unless you're talking about, um, gosh, I'm trying to think of last year's uh, draft and Jalen Green comes to mind, but he went in G League. Um, I, I'm just trying to think of like the freshmen that, that came out last year and it's, it's troubling me right now, but it, it's not every day that you see guys taken after one year and immediately contribute at the NBA level. And I think that there is a possibility that Malachi Branham could get buried in the NBA as just another two guard. I think his potential is through the roof. I, I think he's got a really high ceiling, but when I look at his game, You know, he averaged 11 points a game. He has a killer mid-range. He can create his own shot. He's sneaky athletic, but he didn't get a chance to create a whole lot during his one year at Ohio State. You know, so far, he averaged two assists per game. I would say he's average to above average, maybe, on defense. Um, Really kind of from what I watched and some of the notes that I took throughout the season, he's very right-hand dominant, in my opinion. And he took less than three three-pointers per game. So when you look at the NBA, it's all about like uber athleticism, you know, being ambidextrous, being able to get to the bucket with your right or your left hand. And as a guard specifically, it's not uncommon for a, a point guard or a two guard to put up six, seven, eight three-pointers a game. That's what the NBA is today. And yes, Malachi was efficient at, I think it was 2.8 attempts per game. He shot 40%, but if he puts up five, six threes per game, is he now a 25 to 30% three-point shooter? I don't know. We didn't get to see it in volume at Ohio State. I just, I think that there's an opportunity for him to come back and work himself, not only in the lottery, but the high lottery, because I do believe in him as a player. So uh, I'm really on the fence with him, but as far as EJ goes, um, I think he kind of is what he is at this point. I think that his game kind of speaks for itself. I don't know if he will test off the charts in kind of the preseason and pre-draft activities, but he's super coachable. He's super unselfish. And it seems like he always added something to his game or worked at a facet of his game to improve. So I'm not worried about him long-term. I think he's going to be a contributor for a good team if he gets that opportunity. But I, I don't know. I guess I think that there is just a greater variance between Malachi's floor and ceiling right now, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head on on drafting based on kind of the, the outlook and, and drafting for the future. And because, like, you know, we see these two guys, Liddell and Branham. Liddell is clearly the more polished player of the two right now. We've seen him do it mm-hmm. at the college level, at a high level for multiple years now. You know, this past season alone averaged uh, just over 19 points per game, uh, almost eight assists per game. And while while being his team's star player on the offensive end, he was also doing it on the defensive end with 2.6 blocks per game. Really just a, a complete player. Played a lot of the four at Ohio State. I think at his size, he'll probably more likely play the three at the next level, although we have seen NBA teams start to get a bit smaller, so we could see him probably move between the two. But, you know, you have a guy who's good at both ends of the floor. He's a good shooter from mid-range and from three. You know, he's not a, a sniper by any means from beyond the arc, but having a, a forward of his size that could shoot the three ball is definitely valuable in the NBA. He was solid at the free throw line as well. So, you know, Liddell's a guy that could do it all, and he's not, you know, the flashiest guy on the court. I think that, you know, mid to late first round is probably fair for him. But then you look at a guy like Branham, and it's all about his, you know, his ceiling and what he could be. And I think that's what a lot of NBA teams are gonna are gonna see. And whether it's he's ready to come out now or should come back for another year, I think that teams can see what he could be in the future with more development, and whether he could get that kind of being a bench player at the next level or you know a G League guy or, or stuff like this. Like, 
I just don't know what the best situation for him is because obviously he could leave right now and make a ton of money, especially if he's getting some of these you know upper 15 lottery projections at some of these mock drafts. I don't know if he'll wind up being a lottery if he left now, but he's clearly the type of player that could develop into something like that. And his numbers look really good this year, you know, only really coming on in, in the second half for the most part when he, he got let loose by this coaching staff. He averaged 13.7 points per game. Uh, he shot over 40% from three. Um, he shot over 50% from the floor. So he has good numbers. He has good stats. I think, like you said, he could his defense could be better. Um, he could develop. His three-point numbers were good. He didn't take a ton, but uh, you know it wasn't the most consistent shot in the world. He could work on that as well. And if he's his, his team's you know number one guy, whereas it was Liddell this past season, and he's the number one ball handler, I think you could see a lot from Malachi Branham this this next year. If he stayed, I think he could put up some really big numbers, and then he would almost certainly be a lottery pick, whereas now I think it's a little bit more on the fence, although I think he would be a first-round pick regardless if he was to leave. So it is an interesting situation. I'm, I'm intrigued to see what he does wind up choosing. I'm sure we'll know that uh, sooner rather than later, but you know, I had a friend text me, my old roommate from Ohio State actually, who was worried that it was going to be uh, somewhat of a, of a Daquan Cook situation, and not to say that Branham is the same type of player as Daquan Cook. Branham is is a much better player, but you know, Cook was on that that uh, Mike Conley and Greg Oden team got drafted in the first round uh, after his first year, and then his NBA career never really took off from there. And so while obviously, you know, Branham's ceiling is probably higher than Cook's was, it is the type of thing where maybe he does need that extra year of development to, to have a long and sustained NBA career, whereas, you know, he's not going to get quite the same development playing, you know, 10 or 12 minutes here and there on an NBA team. I think that is a very fair question or point to raise by your former roommate. You know, I think Branham's ceiling is exponentially higher than Daquan Cook's was during his time at Ohio State. But sort of similar, right? He played a a secondary or a tertiary option even at times at Ohio State, went to the next level, and again, just didn't get the opportunity to develop. I remember he bounced around for a little bit, but when I look at the NBA draft, you know, it, it seems like the hit rate, the true hit rate is you know, 5, 10, 15, 20%. And it's usually in that, uh, in, in the lottery range and even the high lottery. I, I compare Malachi Branham to guys who came out last year and I had to pull it up because those names were just kind of escaping me for a moment. I don't see Malachi Branham right now as a Cade Cunningham and Evan Mobley, uh, even a Jalen Suggs who struggled this year. Those were all guys who went in the, in the top five. So I don't think we're comparing apples to apples there. But as you go further and further down the list, you know, I look at the number 11 pick last year, James Booknight from Connecticut. I, I, I don't recall. I think he left after his sophomore year. I could be mistaken on that. Flashed potential, did some good things at Connecticut. I, I couldn't tell you one thing about his season in Charlotte this year. I know he played a little bit at times, but um you know, Charlotte has a guard full of roster, so he didn't get or, you know, recently I hadn't seen much opportunity for him. And you go down and down the list, there aren't a lot of uh, there aren't a lot of two guards that go 15th, 20th in the draft and produce right away. It's just not common, especially at the two position. It's guys who average 15, 20 points per game in college that go on to the next level and excel or contribute right away. So uh, I'm going to keep saying that I think Malachi has that potential. I don't doubt him whatsoever. I'm rooting for him no matter what his decision is, but I could see him coming back to Ohio State and being an 18 to 20 point guy. And then maybe he works himself into that top five sort of consideration. Yeah, for sure. And obviously, you know, they, they changed the rules now where you could you could declare for the draft, you could hire an agent, you could go through the process, see what you're hearing from, you know, NBA talent scouts and evaluators and all that stuff. And if, you know, if he gets the same kind of feedback that, you know, you're insinuating that, like, you know, if he comes back for another year, he could be that, that top 10, top five type of player, then maybe he does decide to come back. But if he's comfortable with, you know, being a, being a top 20 player and, and, you know, thinks he can make a name for himself in the league, even with potentially limited playing time early on, then I think, you know, whatever decision he makes is, is what's best for him. But what's your gut tell you if you had to guess right now, what does your gut say he's going to do? I 
I think he's going to leave. I don't know. You know, I do think his ceiling is higher, but I think that, you know, if you're getting, by the time things are all said and done, if he's getting consistent, you know, around the 15 mark NBA draft projections, then I don't know how much he thinks that he could potentially move up in that spot. And I think that anything else he, he I mean, like the things we're saying he has to work on are, are very, very small details. And I think he's, you know, he's solid all around as is. I think his defense could use work, but it's not like it's a, he's not terrible on that end of the floor by any means. So. I think he's a very solid player right now overall. He could be a great player if he comes back and, and plays another year with, with full minutes and, and getting the type of exposure he would get as the number one guy at Ohio State. But I, I think that if he's if he's getting the type of, of mocks that I'm seeing right now from, from different people who know the game a little bit better than perhaps some of the sites that I'm seeing, then I think that he's probably gone. Yeah, I think I would tend to agree with you. Um, I don't know what his connection is to... Ohio and Ohio State. I mean, obviously I get his connection, but I don't know what it means to him to be an Ohio kid playing at Ohio State. You know, is that a, a draw for him? Is that kind of pulling him back? I'm not sure. I think the other thing that he has to consider and he probably will consider is supporting cast next year. And I think it's a different conversation for a different day. But, you know, if he were to come back, Ohio State has a great recruiting class coming in, but every single one of those guys is unproven. And you look at the known commodities that we assume are coming back. I mean, you're talking about Michi Johnson, who struggled all year. Uh, you're talking about Zed Key, who struggled down the stretch. You know, he looked good early on. And then his last, gosh, nine games of the season, I was actually writing about this week. He averaged like four and a half points per game. Some of that was due to injury, but some of that was also due to just kind of maybe he hit a plateau or he was kind of struggling with his development. And, you know, who else is around? Maybe Justice Suing, maybe Seth Towns. But again, that's all TBD. So the good news is he has some time to figure that out. And the program has some time to kind of guesstimate what they're going to look like next year. But I think he'll have to consider that because if he comes back, and he plays well, plays better than he did this year, but he's on a, you know, 17 and 13 team, what kind of exposure and hype is he going to get? And, you know, will it kind of keep him in the same spot and cause him to miss out on a year of millions of dollars? Who knows? Yeah, that is definitely another thing to consider. Ohio State, there's a chance Ohio State, you know, isn't very good next year, depending on who's who's coming, who's going, who's staying. You know, if, if you know, we know Liddell's gone, the, the leading scorer on this team, so Malachi Brandon would be the top guy. A lot of the guys you have coming in in this recruiting class, some of the better players are also guards. You don't know for sure if Seth Towns and uh, Justice Sewing are both coming back, so I think that all certainly factors into the decision as well, because I don't know if he really wants to come back for a team that is going to be a, a first round of the tournament exit. So uh, I'm sure that play plays a role but you know kind of that it's kind of a good transition here speaking of guys who could be coming and going guys who could be on the roster next year uh, we've seen Ohio State's name pop up with a number of transfers because at the end of the day they are going to need to at the very minimum replace Liddell if not Liddell and Branham so there are going to be options out there I think I read something like you know 800 or 900 total players are in the transfer portal so it's a it's a crazy world out there in college basketball if you thought that you know just it was just at Ohio State where players are constantly transferring in and out I, I promise you it's not it's all over the country that's just kind of how these things are now it's basically free agency but um, some of the bigger names here that have popped up lately uh, in terms of Ohio State and the connections to Ohio State, uh, the biggest name that I've seen lately is uh, former West Virginia uh, player Jalen Bridges. He's a six foot seven forward. He was a redshirt sophomore this past year, averaged uh, just over eight points and just under five rebounds per game. He was a former top 100 recruit. I believe he's actually visiting Ohio State as we speak. He was set to visit on March 29th and 30th. Um, and I think that Ohio State and Michigan State uh, appear to be at the top of his list as far as transfers go. So obviously a forward there, you're looking to, you're not going to replace Liddell's production with one guy, but to have another experienced player on the roster, like we said, they do have some some talent coming in, but it's all unproven. So to have another veteran forward out there to replace at least some of what Liddell brought in terms of leadership, I think it's good that they're going to you know, potentially look that route. I, I'm sure that there's going to be at least one, if not two or three transfers that come in this year. But it's good to see that they're already you know, making some moves and seemingly you know, getting to the top of some guys' lists out there right now. Yeah, I think Jalen Bridges is, uh, you know, I was kind of reading up on him before the pod. I see some untapped potential there. Uh, he's coming from West Virginia. And, and look, I love Bob Huggins. Uh, I have for years. I rooted for Cincinnati when he was there. But, 
his teams play a certain style, right? It's all about a rock fight. Uh, they want to hold on to the ball. They want to have good possessions. They want to rebound, play good defense. Like they're not, they're not the run and gun sons uh, of yesterday. You know what I mean? So for a guy to average eight points at Virginia at West Virginia, I'm sorry. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have a higher floor uh, as a scorer. Uh, you mentioned the fact that he was the top 100 recruit coming out of high school. Seems like he has some three and D potential, which is something that Ohio state could definitely use, you know, that's more kind of popular and in style at the NBA level, but it, it would be great for Ohio state to have that, that consistent three and D player who can lock guys down on one end and then knock down some open shots on the other. So I think he would be a good addition. And you mentioned Ohio state's recruiting class is kind of guard heavy and Jalen Bridges can be more of a wing, more of a kind of a perimeter slasher kind of guy. So I think he would be a really good addition. And another guy that I was reading up on, I don't know what his interest level in Ohio State is right now, but he's playing in Ohio or was playing in Ohio, and that's Grandpa Seal out of Wright State. He went to high school in Wisconsin, and I think there's already some interest there. I'm not sure, but like I said, he's playing – uh, at Wright State in Ohio currently, or was this past year, a versatile-ish kind of big guy. Uh, he can score and rebound. He averaged like 18 and 8, I think, for them. He can step out, but his three-point efficiency went down as the attempts went up, but he could at least be a viable threat out there, which is kind of Liddell-esque, right? I, I don't think that they're necessarily similar players, but you look at the height and the body makeup and the the fact that they can kind of play inside and out. That's another guy I was interested in. I don't know if you've had much of an opportunity to read up on Basile out of Wright State. Yeah, for sure. And that's six foot nine, 225, big forward, um, average 18.4 points per game and 8.5 rebounds per game this past season for Wright State. Uh, he scored 21 points in their game against Arizona, which they, they obviously lost in the tournament. And like you said, he's from Wisconsin, so potentially uh, a link there. But he was playing in Ohio. Another guy, you know, if Ohio State's definitely going to look to get a forward, I would say, almost definitely in the transfer portal. So whether they go the more 3 and D, as you said, Ralph, for Jalen Bridges, or look for a, a high-scoring kind of forward like a Grant Basile, um, it remains to be seen. I'm actually interested uh, just today, today being Tuesday, uh, this morning, Basile's teammate, uh, Tanner Holden, six foot six guard, who's from Wheelersburg, Ohio, also entered the transfer portal. And this is a guy who averaged 20 points per game, seven rebounds, and, and almost three assists per game. A really versatile player for Wright State, um, and, a, and a really good player that could potentially, you know, if Branham is to leave, uh, replace some of that production at the guard spot. He's a guy who could score the basketball pretty pretty consistently. And this, like I said, it's a guy with Ohio ties, so maybe a more realistic option than Basile. But two guys from Wright State that are, are potential options for Ohio State here as we move forward and look to to fill out the rest of their roster. And this is kind of the way that a lot of teams are building right now. They are quote unquote stealing from the non power five conferences because these guys who play in, you know, in your max and your WCCs and things like that, they want the exposure. They want the limelight of the big 10, the sec, the ACC, you name it. So, you know, it's kind of a bummer for those schools and it doesn't happen everywhere, but this could be an opportunity for Ohio state to look at a guy in state or in the tri-state area that plays in a lower conference and offer them an opportunity that a right state or a, you know, a Kent state or an Akron doesn't right now, which is, you know, playing in the big 10, one of, if not the best conferences. And maybe I shouldn't say that after the results of March madness, but uh, going into March madness, the big 10 was definitely viewed as one of the stronger conferences in the country. So um yeah, either one of those guys, and I, I don't know that I have any other names written down as like potential transfer candidates, but I know we're also very, very early in the process. Yeah, I have a couple, just uh, two other names here. I don't know if they're really much in connection with Ohio State, but I know the first, uh, East Carolina's Tristan Newton uh, just recently entered the portal, or entered the portal on Monday. He's heard from dozens of schools already, including Ohio State. Uh, six foot five guard. He's a junior. 
uh, career 85% free throw shooter. So another guy potentially on Ohio State's radar that I, I know they've reached out to because I saw it. And then another guy who I'm not sure they've had much contact with already, but another kind of big name in the portal is uh, Terrence Shannon Jr. from Texas Tech. Uh, six foot six guard, averaged over 10 points and two assists per game. Shot over 50% from the floor this season, a former top 100 recruit. And he's a lefty, so gives you a bit of a different look there. Uh, a return to Texas Tech for him is not out of the question, but another another kind of big name in the portal. So as, as I said, there's a lot of names in the portal. You know, Illinois' Andre Corbello was also in the portal. I, I have a feeling he'll probably wind up back at Illinois, but Nonetheless, there's a lot of big names in the portal, uh, a lot of ways Ohio State could go as, as Chris Holman looks to kind of build his roster. But like we said, there's there's good talent already coming in. I'm sure they will add at least one or two guys via the portal because there's a ton out there. And, you know, I think all of this will kind of factor into the decision of a guy like Malachi Branham with, you know, seeing what's what the team's going to look like next year. Yeah, I mean, I think at the very least they have to get some experience on the roster um, because I don't think anything is a certainty right now. You know, we think that Justice Suing is going to come back. We don't know about Seth Towns. His health will be a big factor in that. But when you look at known commodities on this Ohio State roster, they're few and far between. Um, there is a very real uh, kind of possibility that Zed Key is your top, you know, your top returning scorer or your definitely your top returning scorer from this year. And if Justice Suing doesn't come back, you know, he's the guy at, you know, six, seven, eight points a game, whatever he had this year, like that's your go-to guy as far as proven commodities go. So that could be scary, I think, for Ohio State. Even with the the talent that they have coming in, they're all unproven. Uh, they have not played at the next level. And you could end up with, uh, a Memphis situation, right? Memphis under Penny Hardaway brought in a ton of talented freshmen and they really underachieved. Now they had some better results in the tournament. They gave Gonzaga a game, but they, I would say they underperformed all year. And you've seen it with Duke. You've seen it with Kentucky. These one and done super teams don't always work out. And Ohio state could theoretically find itself in a situation like that. Yeah, and I, I hate to break it to you guys, but Ohio State doesn't recruit as well as the, the Dukes and the Kentuckys of the world as well. You know, they, they do well for themselves, but as far as talent goes, if those teams are underperforming with their freshmen, it's not the best outlook if that's, you know, Ohio State's ceiling for next year. So they definitely do need to get uh, some experience in that room, and they, and they do need to, you know, their roster is going to look a lot different next year, and hopefully it all works out for the best. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. As, as we kind of transition here, another roster that's going to look very different next year is, of course, Ohio State's football team. Uh, a lot of the big names leaving, but a lot also returning. We got to hear from uh, some of the coaches today. We heard from Ryan Day, Jim Knowles, and Kevin Wilson uh, after their, I believe, sixth spring practice of the year uh, this morning. So some news and notes to come out of that. I'd say, you know, one of the bigger news stories of the day, Ryan Day says that uh, Cade Stover is moving back to tight end. Um, I kind of feel bad for the kid at this point. I mean, they did. Kevin Wilson said that it was his decision to do it. He said neither him or Day asked uh, Stover to come back to tight end, but I think he could kind of see that the linebacker room, pretty crowded, tight end room, not so much. And I, while I do think that, you know, I think personally Cade Stover is better on defense than he is on offense, but it is clear that Ohio State is certainly lacking at the tight end spot. And I like that, you know, we, we obviously love that, you know, Cade Stover is being this type of guy that just wants to do what's best for the team and wants to help out wherever he can. But I think it does stink for him because I do think he wants to be a linebacker. He wants to play on defense. And while we, you know, we love to see him step up in the way he is, it, I do feel bad for him having, you know, flip-flop, flip-flop these these past couple of years, every single year, it seems like, and, and not ever find a true position where he's, you know, where he wants to play. I'm bummed by this development. And, you know, it's still spring. That could change, I guess. But... I'm with you. I thought Cade Stover brought 
you know, some, some aggression and physicality to the uh, defensive side of the ball and to the linebacker room. And it, I would have liked to have seen him there, but I have to obviously trust the coaches. They, they know what they're doing a heck of a lot more than I do. And, um, you know, they're all accomplished coaches in their own right. But I, I think it speaks to the volume or the depth of talent they have at linebacker and the fact that they may only have two on the field at any given time, depending on the package they run out there and the kind of lack of depth in the tight end room. I, I think that you and I have both talked about that as a real concern going into next year. And we're kind of seeing that come to fruition. They've talked about, uh, you know, in some of these other post-practice press conferences and interviews, they've talked about Joe Royer and G Scott Jr. No, you know, they say that they're developing and they're doing good things and this, that, and the other, but they clearly are not going to push back on this. They're going to welcome Cade Stover back into the tight end room with open arms. And, you know, that kind of adds to the concern for me. I, I really thought that G Scott Jr. could bring something to the team. And I think that there's still a good possibility that he will, that, but they've talked about, he still needs to add weight. He still needs to get stronger. And, you know, if he continues to do that, is he going to be as athletic as he once was as a wide receiver? Probably not. I know that you can get on your Mickey Marotti soapbox if you want, Gene. We've talked about it, but you have to be able to maintain uh, some of that athleticism that made you a threat once upon a time. And who knows if G. Scott's still going to do that. Uh, if he continues to bulk up at tight end, he obviously needs to work on blocking and things like that, that he's not as familiar or as comfortable with. But Cade Stover sees an opportunity for playing time. The Ohio State coaching staff sees that same opportunity. So I hope that it's a good thing, but I would have liked to have seen him play defense this year or at least get a chance to. Yeah, my only my only comment to the G. Scott waking uh uh, issue I would say is that uh, Jack Sawyer is now currently up to 265 pounds, and I am not going to comment on it. I'm just going to leave it there and move on. Uh, but yeah, Cade Stover having to move back to tight end is is just more fuel to the fire of my abolish the tight end position at Ohio State and just play with six offensive linemen. I think that's kind of what they're probably going to do with Cade Stover anyway. I doubt he's going to catch many passes this year. I'm sure he he will catch passes, but I don't think that's going to be his primary object out there. I think that Ohio State is going to look to use their tight end look to use their tight ends as blockers, uh, which they should when they have all the wide receiver talent they have, as well as, you know, guys like Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams in the backfield. So yeah, tight end, not exactly a strong suit of this team right now, but hopefully Cade Stover could bring something to that room. Um, in terms of other just little news and, and positional notes, the other uh, guy to kind of move from lo- uh, linebacker, clear a little bit of that log jam is Mitchell Melton, who is moving to defensive end. Uh, I will t- talk more about him later on. Uh, other defensive stuff on position. Sonny Styles, they said, will start at safety, which is his natural position. It makes sense. Uh, Legend Cavazos is currently working at the nickel safety. Um, Jim Knowles said he loves Ronnie Hickman as a great as a great piece in the middle of the field, and he also likes Court Williams back there at safety, who he said is a great leader. He just needs to work on his uh, matchups with wide receivers, and you know, all, everybody talked very highly of Josh Proctor, who is not yet not yet fully practicing. He's just getting started with individual drills. Ryan Day said he's inching his way back. They don't believe that he'll be ready to be a full participant in drills anytime this spring. But both he and Jim Knowles talked very highly about him, you know, his physicality and his ball skills. So it kind of sounds like Ohio State's rounding out their safety positions a little bit, especially in the secondary. You know, some of the corner spots, some of the safety guys are starting to sort their way into different positions, which is good to see. Um, and yeah, so they, they both, both basically talked a lot about how, you know, Josh Proctor is going to be a big part of this defense, which we love to hear because I am a big Josh Proctor guy. I don't know about you, Josh. I just feel like, you know, with him mm-hmm. back there, uh, especially with some of the safety play they've had the past year, um, I think having Proctor back there is going to be huge for this team. It's good to see him back out there, um, you know, coming off that really bad leg injury. Um, and even though he's just, you know, he's not going to be full contact or anything, getting him out there doing individual drills, they said, you know, he could, you know, even if he does come back this spring at some point, he'll probably not going to be any full contact stuff. But good to see him out there. Good to hear how much the, the coaches seem to really like what he puts on film and what he brings to the team. Um, and so I'm excited to see him this year. Hopefully he can make a, a full recovery before the season comes around. It's, it's a weird dynamic because Ohio State opens up against Notre Dame and it's like you want to have your, your best players and your most experienced players out there. But you may also want to slow play it with Josh Proctor in his return from injury. So they just have to figure out sort of the best 
approach there in getting him healthy, getting him reps, but not doing too much too early. So, you know, I, I think they'll figure that out, but I'm with you. I think Proctor um, just is a very versatile safety. I think that coached up and, and kind of given the reps in the under the tutelage of Jim Knowles, I think that he could move around to different safety spots, which we know Ohio State is going to use. So I, I really hope he gets back sooner than later. But I think at the end of the day, they have to take their time with Proctor and do it the right way so that he doesn't suffer some sort of setback, because then you're looking at, you know, it, probably not another lost season. I, and I would never want to put that on a guy. But yeah, they just they need to do it the right way so that he can be at 100 percent for most of the season, even if that means not all of the season, I guess. Yeah, for sure. And, and for right now, you know, they have bodies at the safety position. We saw Tanner McAllister lose his black stripe this week. And, and from what we heard from both Day and Knowles, it, we're kind of getting exactly what we expected from Tanner McAllister, where he's kind of the the Jim Knowles interpreter. He, they said he's like a coach out on the field. He's helping the guys kind of learn some of Jim Knowles' defense. And that's really what we hoped we'd we'd get from McAllister. We hope we'd get, obviously, something on the field as well. But, you know, him coming over as kind of a player coach with Knowles, knowing his system, having played in his system, I think is going to be really valuable to this this secondary. And I think overall that this secondary is being coached finally by, by someone uh, it is a good sign for this year's defense. I think it's going to be a good step in the right direction, especially on that back end, which we saw be, you know, really, really bad at times last year. I think having guys, you know, as well as it being a different system with the three safety look, I think having guys out there that actually understand the system and having coaches that, you know, are, are installing a system that they're making sure the players understand as well. It, it all of it is, is heading in the right direction. Yeah, for sure. And speaking to the depth, it's another thing that we talked about on a previous podcast. And you mentioned some of the comments made today. Roddy Hickman led the team in tackles last year. You know that he's a known commodity, that he's he's a proven guy. There may be some learning that he has to do based on position that he's asked to play. Uh, McAllister, taught of experience. They're super high on Court Williams, another guy that you mentioned. And you know, they've got fallback options even. And I know we don't want to really get into that. They may never crack the two deep, but a guy like Bryson Shaw, look, he had his issues last year. We have beaten that, uh, you know, dead horse over the head multiple times. But what was his preparation last year? How was he coached? So you've definitely got options. It's just a matter of figuring out which ones, which ones are, are going to kind of come to the forefront and take those positions, take those starting spots, and then fill in the rest of the gaps with these other guys as they learn and as they improve. Yeah, and, and touching on some of the things Knowles himself specifically said, you know, the first guy he mentioned we got up to the podium, which I'm sure you'll love, Josh, Tommy Eichenberg. He said that Tommy Eichenberg is, is mastering the defense. He loves what he sees out of Tommy, uh, which is good to see. You know, Josh and I both said that he was one of the guys that we thought most improved last year, which was impressive given that he wasn't being coached at all, seemingly. Uh, but but it was good to see him come on late last year, and it seems like he's carrying that over into this offseason. So, Josh, I'll let you have your moment here because I know you're a big Tommy Eichenberg guy. It seems like Knowles is as well. I just think Tommy's going to be consistent. You know, it was something that he struggled with early on last year, but as the season went along, he got better and better. And by the Rose Bowl, he was, uh, you know, racking up damn near 20 tackles. He just, he's a solid do whatever you ask kind of linebacker. Does he have some athletic limitations? Maybe, but we still need to see him in the right spots and coached up the right way. He may be a pass coverage savant with time and with coaching. So I've got the utmost confidence in Tommy Eichenberg. I think that he will continue to be a leader for this Ohio State team and for the linebacker group. And that's the thing, though. It's another position where they're going to have a lot of depth and they're going to have to you know, squeeze a, a lot of kind of potential out of these guys that has not yet been realized at Ohio State. But I think when the dust settles, I think that Ohio State's linebacking group will be a real strength to this Ohio State defense. I don't anticipate it being as much of a strength as the defensive front, the defensive line, but I think they're going to experiment. I think they're going to get the right guys in the right positions. And Tommy Eichenberg is going to be one of those guys. I have no doubt in my mind that he will play at a high level this year. 
Yeah, and speaking of that defensive line, Knowles also said that they've started implementing uh, what he's now calling the jack position. A lot, a lot of terminology with Knowles coming into Ohio State, but they're calling the Leo position is now the jack position because Knowles said that the, the Leo is the king of the jungle and players have to earn that name. So for now, they're calling it the jack position. Um, and, and so far, he said that, uh, you know, ironically, Jack Sawyer is the one that's really stood out at that position for him. Uh, the lineup with the jack position is going to be known as the jet package. So I hope you're all taking notes on all the various terminology that's going on on the defensive side of the ball, but they have started using sort of that hybrid stand-up uh, end linebacker hybrid, and that looks like it'll be, you know, Jack Sawyer. They also mentioned uh, Mitchell Melton for that spot. Um, other things, other terminology, or it's something I like. I don't know if you've seen, Josh. They uh, they started introducing a silver bullet of the day uh, under Jim Knowles, and it's earned by a staff vote. So basically at the end of a, a full padded practice, the staff will take a vote on who was the standout performer of that day. Um, so far, there's been three winners. It's been Mitchell Melton, who is a really good story, missed all of last season with an injury, former four-star recruit, former top 25 outside linebacker, and a top 15 player out of Maryland. It looks like he's really stepping up at defensive end, so he could be another weapon in that room. And then the two others to win it so far have been Michael Hall and Jordan Hancock, two young guys that we've both been high on coming into the season. It looks like they're having good off-seasons as well. So I really like that. I like that they're kind of rewarding guys for standing out. He said they're also letting players know that, you know, if they received votes, so they know that they're on the edge. So it feels like they're doing a good job of recognizing good individual performances. It's not all always a competition, not everything. I mean, it is a competition in this result, but it's more of a, a friendly competition and more of a, a way to kind of get their name out there and see guys uh, kind of like earn, earn props for their hard work out there. I, I really like everything that Jim Knowles has done so far. And the silver bullet of the day is just another one of those things. It, it goes along with the things that he has had to say, how complimentary he's been of the current roster, despite any sort of performance last year, um, so on and so forth. But I, I know that once I saw that Jordan Hancock was, I believe, the first recipient of the silver bullet of the day award, I was sold. I, I have been high on Jordan Hancock since he committed to Ohio State. I think that he's got a super bright future in front of him. And I think we're going to see him on the field a lot this year. I know that there is a lot of, uh, again, depth and experience potentially in that room. But when you look at cornerback, I think that there's quite a bit up for grabs. You know, I, I think that the guys at safety are a little more proven and they got some playing time last year. And you've got guys like McCann, uh, McAllister and Proctor with so much experience, whereas at the cornerback position, yeah, Cam Brown has been here for a long time, and Denzel Burke was a freshman All-American. But you know, you go further and further down the line, I think you, that your your confidence is less and less when you mention some of those other names because they're young. There, there's a lot of fresh faces. There are many fresh faces in the room, but I think Jordan Hancock is going to be really good here at Ohio State, and it, it seems like he is on his way, and he's impressing coaches already. So I expect to see him. I don't know about early and often, but I expect to see him early, and I hope we see him often, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'm all in on the Jordan Hancock, J.K. Johnson cornerback tandem. Like you said, there is a lot of experience out there, and if Ohio State does continue to rotate their corners as they've done in the past, I'm sure a lot of guys will see playing time. But it does seem like you know it's a good problem to have when you have too many of a good player at a certain position, and hopefully that's what we have at Ohio State as opposed to what we've seen you know, both last season and in, in a similar 2017 defensive season where it just didn't ever come together, and now they're going to be you know, hoping they're rotating guys because they have too many good guys rather than rotating guys because they – can't figure out what their personnel is. So it seems like this coaching staff has a better grip on things. Um, I don't know if you want to go too much in-depth on anything, Josh. I just have a few other handful of notes here that I picked out, and then if you wanted to, to add on anything. Yeah, you can answer this now or later. Um, but And I'm trying to formulate the question the right way. Does it seem to you like we can or should expect just a completely different Ohio State defense this year. I'm not talking about just scheme. I'm not talking about just personnel. Like I, I feel like there is so much unknown going on, but in a in a very good way. It, it, does that does my question make sense? Do you think that we could be in for something completely unexpected when the season kicks off and throughout the season from this Ohio State defense? Yeah, I mean, I'm optimistic. I still want to see kind of a proof of concept, and it's going to be a real baptism by fire with that Notre Dame game. But I do think that in the long run, this Ohio State defense is going to get a lot better, and it is going to look a lot different. I think it's going to be tough for 
even a coaching staff that I think is good now on the defensive side of the ball to kind of flush out some of the old stuff that they learned or or lack of learned last year and, and get these guys on the same page and install an entirely new defense from day one. So I do think it's going to be a little bit tough in that regard to kind of make a complete 180 and, and make this into a, a top 10 defense or something of the sorts. But I do think they're going to be solid. I think, like we said, you know, we've talked many times how we think if Ohio State's defense could even be top 50 or top 60, that this team could, could p- compete for a national title with how good we think the offense will be. So I'm very optimistic that this team is going to make significant strides on the defensive end. I'm, I'm tired of seeing Ohio State defenses that rank in the the triple digits uh, of college football. And I think that those days are potentially over with Jim Knowles here. It does seem like like, you know, him and all the rest of the defensive coaches have said all the right things. It seems like the players are responding to it. It seems like the players actually are understanding the defense they're being taught rather than just being thrown out there and told good luck as they were last year. Um, so I see no reason not to be optimistic. Like I said, I will hold my breath and wait to see that, you know, I don't think Ohio State's defense is going to be top 10 next year. But if they are, I will be very, very pleasantly surprised. And then Jim Knowles is, is definitely a, a dark magician of sorts, if that is the case. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I guess more so than a question. I, I I just wanted to express my optimism for this unit going forward. I think that they're going to have to sort a lot of things out, but I, I just think that they are going to experiment more than they have in the past under Kerry Combs and some other guys. I think that they're going to be more aggressive. I, I think they're going to provide some exotic looks that teams maybe aren't prepared for, maybe aren't looking for. And I think that all of the talent on that side of the ball will lead to success eventually and give them a lot of options and a lot of flexibility on defense. Yeah, for sure. And, and on the other end, I think that if, you know, if Ohio State's defense is practicing at a higher level, I think that makes, you know, that'll make CJ Stroud even better if he's going out there practicing against a, a better defense than he's seen the last year when he was in the practice field. So I think having a better defense is going to even help the offense for Ohio State in the long run as well. So I think that yeah, it, it's, it's going to be big if this Ohio State defense could get on the right page and get things turned around from the past few years. I think it's really uh, it's going to be super important all around the board, and I think that we're heading in the right direction. We'll see if it does play out. The only other things I had here uh, to wrap up Ohio State's presser from today, um, uh, basically Kevin Wilson outlined the offensive line. It's kind of exactly what we expected. Uh, from left to right, you got Paris Johnson Jr., Donovan Jackson, Luke Whippler, Matt Jones, and Donovan Jones. So that's, that's basically exactly what we expect it to be. And then the other thing that I think is fun, not not from the presser, but from what the, the media was able to observe today, is that it looks like Cam Martinez is getting the first reps as the punt returner, which I think is a fantastic idea because if you've seen Cam Martinez's uh, high school film, all this dude does is score touchdowns in the open field with the ball in his hands and, and making things happen after the catch and and you know making plays in the return game. So I think that Having a deadly return back there could be very valuable. Cam Martinez seems like a super athletic dude, so I think that he would be a really good guy to have back there. So I'm excited to see him returning kicks and punts this year if that is indeed the case. I just want to see excitement from the return game. You know, we saw it a little bit with Emeka Buka, but Ohio State, you know, as far as I can remember the past couple of seasons, they have not had like that dynamic kick return option. And I know the, the kickoff specifically has been rendered kind of more and more useless in the college game and even the program, the program for that matter. But to have a guy like a Ted Ginn Jr. or or something like that, a player of that kind of ilk would just pay dividends for this team that, you know, we know under Urban Meyer, he placed uh, an emphasis on special teams. And I think that was more on kind of the peripheral of things like he wanted good. He wanted gunners. He wanted uh, you know, strong blockers uh, on the punt team, things of that nature. But yeah, we just, we haven't seen a guy, like I said, like Ted Ginn recently. And I, I'm not saying that Cam Martinez is going to be that guy, but I have missed some of the excitement of kind of like yesteryear from this Ohio State special teams unit. So I hope somebody can bring that back. And that's not a, a knock on some of the guys who specifically returned punts last year. You know, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, JSN, they all, um, at, at some point took a turn returning punts and they were known for, you know, their, their sure handedness and, and things like that. But to put a real dynamic player out there, just give another guy an opportunity when he's not in the starting lineup can only be a good thing, I think, for them. 
yeah, should be a lot of fun. Hopefully, you know, we see more and more. The, the spring game is coming up before we know it. Um, I'm also really excited, and not not related to anything else. I just happened to see a picture of him at practice today. I'm really excited for Marvin Harrison Jr. I, I cannot wait to watch that guy play football. I feel like Ohio State hasn't had that that big body, you know, goal line fade type of he receiver looks in a while. Like a freak show, Gene. Like He's I think massive. I either talked about it on a podcast or maybe even in our Slack. Like he looks six three two thirty. He looks like. Andre Johnson out there or, you know, AJ Brown, DK Metcalf, somebody like that, you know, he's definitely been in the weight room and, you know, I think of a guy like David Boston and I'm, I'm probably aging myself, but, um, and there've been some other guys, you know, Mike Thomas was a bit more big bodied, but to have a guy like that, as opposed to Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, who, you know, look, they're two of the best wide receivers to ever come through the program, but, you know, they were burners, they were, you know, technicians, they could get open and this, that, and the other Marvin Harrison Jr. Might just beat some dudes into oblivion with his combination of size, his big hands, things like that. So I'm with you. I'm super excited for, uh, for MHJ. Yeah. Every time I see him, he's seemingly gotten taller. So I don't know how that's possible, but (laughs) he just keeps growing at an exponential rate. And by the time the season comes around, he'll be seven, four and no one will be able to guard him. That is all from us. Be sure to check out all of our content over at Land Grant Holland. We're obviously, you know, not now that football and basketball are both gone, we'll try to be covering, you know, a lot of the other sports going on in Ohio State. Obviously, shout out to uh, the Ohio State women's team, whose who's, uh, NCAA tournament run came to an end uh, this past week. Uh, they had a pretty solid run in the tournament, and they just got, you know, they announced that Taylor Mikesell will be coming back for another year. So the, the Ohio State women's team should be in good shape moving forward as well. So shout out to them. We'll also have, you know, I'm sure we'll have our, our fair share of baseball content and all the other uh, non-revenue sports, all the Olympic sports going on as well. So be sure to check us out over there. Uh, be sure to like, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff to the podcast. Um, and, I, and I think that's it, Josh. you have any, any closing remarks? I think you nailed it, man. Uh, NFL draft, too. We're, we're definitely going to hit on that in the coming weeks and the coming months, so that'll be exciting, too. Oh, for sure. And I think that later on in the year, I'm, I want to do some uh, some in-depth Big Ten preview shows, like maybe looking at each team on uh, individual episodes once we know more a bit about some of the some of the rosters. I think that could be interesting as we go through the offseason. So we'll, we'll have some interesting ideas coming up there. There's never a, a dearth of content when it comes to Ohio State. So we'll be around each and every week to, to keep you up to business on what's going on. Uh, But yeah, until next week, uh, as always, go Bucks.